Hi, I'm back. Um, I just want to start with saying that I pray before every time I speak that the Lord would give me love. Because without love, we are clanging gongs and cymbals. We can have all the knowledge, we can have all the prophetic powers, we can know the Bible backward and forward. Without love, it's nothing. It amounts to nothing. So I ask the Lord every time, and I just am always overwhelmed. I looked out at you all as you were worshiping and just... I feel like I love you, so I just wanted to start there. I know that's a creepy place to start, but <laughs> that's where we are. Uh, there's a lot of love in this room. Okay, I'm going to open us in prayer. Lord, we are, uh, we are anticipatory. We are expectant. We come this weekend, some of us just had wild exits from our homes. <laughs> some of us had kids hanging on that we brushed off on the way out the door. Uh, and we're here, and you sustained us to get here. And your hand rests over this mountain in a way that I don't think I experience you in other places. And so I pray that your presence would dwell so heavy in this place that it would be undeniable to us, that you would do what only you can do. Because the deeper parts of our heart are places that only you may enter. I don't let anyone else in there. These girls, they come in, but there is also an a little, a little trap door that's just for us. And in that secret place, Jesus, you meet us and you will meet every woman in this room. And I trust you to love them. I trust you to do it. Love us into your kingdom tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So our theme is Deeper with Jesus, and I was tasked with Deeper. And when I started thinking about what do I want to, what do I want to say to these women that I love? about going deeper. I thought a lot about faith. And I was thinking about as a kid, I used to go to a, a camp called Spring Hill Camp up in northern Michigan. And at Spring Hill Camp was sort of my introduction to anything biblical or you know anything that had to do with the Bible. And I remember one time a counselor read this. She said, truly I say to you, this is the words of Jesus, and I have no context whatsoever for this verse. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So that was my framework for faith. Say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and don't doubt in your heart, but believe, and say it will come to pass, and it will come to pass. And do you know what that results in, like, an eight- or nine-year-old's mind? Can you picture me at eight or nine? And me looking at the salt shaker? <laughs> I thought faith was like a Jedi mind trick, and my little young mind conflated, like, telekinesis with the faith of the Bible. And, and since then, I've actually surprisingly struggled to define faith. And I'd like for you each just to take just 10 seconds. If, you, if I were to call on you right now and say, you right there, tell me what faith is, I want you to have one sentence. You don't have to say it loud in your mind. Faith is... Think it up. Some of you might think, um, uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Maybe some of you were like, with faith, I can move a mountain. Maybe you're thinking faith is being certain of what we hope for, right? 
But as we carefully study the life of Jesus, which is something that I aim to do, I notice that faith plays a really big role. He sort of draws a line in the sand, and he doesn't really do that often. He's, he's very loving and very welcoming and very open, but he draws a real, a real hard line, and that line is faith. And he'll come to people, and he'll say, great is your faith. And he'll say to other people, you're faithless. And he just, it's like this line he draws. And it seems to be like the poor and the marginalized and the, the needy and the dependent and the weeping and the needy. Those people, he's like, your faith is amazing. And then everybody else who should be religious and has life figured out, he's like, you have no faith. So this idea of faith is really startling because it's, it's a line he chooses to draw. I'm going to read just a few as we warm up together. Luke 7.50 he says to the woman who poured oil on his head and covered his feet in her tears. I feel like somebody's teaching on that. He says, he says, your faith has saved you. To the bleeding woman in Mark 5:34, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. To the leper on the road, he says, rise and go, your faith has healed you, in Luke 17, 19. And twice in the Gospel of Matthew, he encounters Gentiles. One's uh, the Syrophoenician woman who's asking for help for a daughter, and the other is the Roman centurion. And both of them, he says, your faith is abundantly great. Abundantly great because of what you've asked me for. But by contrast, Jesus rebukes those in authority, those who should have faith, who should see him for what he is and who he is and who don't. So as we explore it, we're going to sit in a story together, one of my favorite and most confusing stories in the gospel. It is in Mark 9, Verse 17, if you want to turn there, if you have a Bible, you may turn there with me. We're going to camp out there most of our time together. Mark 9, 17 through 29. Teacher, this guy starts, this man approaches Jesus. He says, teacher, I brought you my son. For he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. And he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able and he answered them. Jesus answers, he says he answers them. Not he answered the Father, he answers them. Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to put up with you? So he was very gentle and loving in that. <laughs> how long am I to bear with you? Bring the boy to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus says to him, if you can. If you can. All things are possible for one who believes. If you want to move a mountain or a salt shaker, it's possible. All things are possible. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, <clears throat> he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he'd entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind can only be driven out by prayer. So my question for tonight is who prayed? Who 
prayed? Because up until this point, this is a really fascinating story, because up until this point, Jesus has said, all authority is yours. You guys are going to go out two by two. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And there's nothing that they cannot do. He's given them all that they need, and, and they are, they're excited, and they're learning how to walk in Jesus' ways. And they're do- but then all of a sudden, they hit a wall. They hit this wall, and they can't do it, and they don't know what the wall is about, because this kind can only come out by prayer. And Jesus calls them a faithless generation. He doesn't say the Father's faithless. He doesn't say the disciples are faithless. He says, all y'all, you're all faithless. It is a plural form of the word. All of you all, all are faithless. And it's interesting to me that this, it's interesting to me the walls that we hit is what, where I want to go. It's interesting to me that the disciples couldn't cast out. It's interesting to me the places within ourselves where we hit these walls. There's a 15th century Spanish mystic, so this is where I'm, I'm just going to do it. This is St. John of the Cross is his name, and I wasn't going to go here, but I just I feel like I need to. His name is St. John of the Cross, and he talks about the walls in our lives. And he says that when we're first believers, it's, uh, it's all consolation. That's the word he uses. It's all con- Worship is easy, and God feels near, and the spirit feels heavy. And, and, and the Bible, when I open the Bible, it just it feels like it's fresh and it's new, and everything feels great. And then I'm a Christian for a while, and those things, they don't work like they did. When I open the Bible, it's, it's good, but it's not, I mean, it's not great. And when I worship, it's kind of hard to conjure up that same excitement. And then I face suffering and maybe death, and trial. And I think, well, if God can do anything, then why am I suffering? If God can do anything, if anything's possible, then why do I have this thing? If God can do anything, why am I in pain that won't go away? And so we hit walls, and these walls make us think that God is absent. We think, we think that that barrier is indicative of his presence. And St. John of the Cross would say, no, no, no. That's not how it works, because in the beginning, it's all consolation, and he uses the term like, like a child at the mother's breast, which I feel like a, a male theologian today could not get away with describing our spiritual walk like a, an infant at the mother's breast. But he says we're like an infant at the mother's breast, which I can do because we're all women, so this is fine, you guys, okay? Don't get weird. An infant at the mother's breast, and God is there, and God is present, and the baby, if you've ever nursed a baby, it's like you're doing all the work. Like they're, they're, They contribute nothing. Like, we love them so much, and they don't do anything but make our lives hard in the beginning. <laughs> and the baby's just taking, 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 right? And the, the mother's meeting all of the baby's needs, anticipating the needs, changing, you know, the mother's just like, she's doing everything, right? And that's what it is at the beginning. God's holding us close. But then Paul says, God doesn't want us to be infants forever. We can't live on, you can't live on milk all day long. God wants us to grow. We're always his children, but God wants us to become adult children because here's the difference between a child and an adult. A child does not know the father's business. Paul in in Galatians talks about children as being kind of on the same level as a slave. That's how he equates us. He says that the slave doesn't know. He's not invited into the master's business. So even though we're children, God wants us to grow up into adult children because he wants us to co-labor. He wants us to have opinions. He wants us to talk to him. He wants us engaged in the work of the redemption of the whole world. It's essentially what God's doing. And so St. John the Cross would say that God is like a mother, a good, good mother, who weans the child. And those moments of separation and those walls and that distance and that thing in your life that feels like God is far away, I feel like there's a barrier. I feel like my prayers are hitting the ceiling. I feel like I can't get back to where I was before. That feeling 
St. John of the Cross says that's like a mother who's teaching the baby now to walk, and the mother has to do this and this. And the mother doesn't not love the baby. The mother will catch the baby. The mother is training the baby, but the baby has got to learn how to walk. It's not going to drink milk forever and lay there. It's not going to be a blob forever. It's going to, I mean, it's got to, got to get stuff done, right? <laughs> anyway, I just, I shouldn't have started talking about St. John of the Cross. <laughs> that was a mistake. Uh, okay, I'm reading this book. It's called Willpower, and it's, a, it's fascinating to me. It's a secular book, and it's by, written by these two psychologists, and psychologists are like, they're devious. They're, they're, they're real dirty. And they, they do experiments, and they're, they're testing you for something, but you don't know what they're testing. So they, so they have to make it really elaborate so that you think they're testing as much so that you don't like throw off the controls of the study, okay? So these two social psychologists get together, and they want to understand willpower. They want to understand, like, why do some people seem sort of, like, driven? They can, like, get so much done. They're up at five, and they're running, and they're... But then other people are blobs. Like, what is, what is willpower? Like, how do we understand it? And so... They, they did this two, you guys are going to like this, they did these two control groups. And one of them sat in a room with radishes on the table. And it was like around lunchtime. And they said, we need for you to not eat those radishes for 30 minutes. And they were like, okay. And they sat in the room with the radishes. And then they left the room with the radishes and went to a different room where there was all these um, math equations. They didn't know they were unsolvable. They just thought they were very hard. And so these people sat in the room like trying to solve the equations. And they, what, the, what they were doing was testing how long they would try to solve an unsolvable problem, okay? In the second room is a big plate of warm, can you guess it? Yeah, it's mineral chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. Okay, yeah, she got it. You guys didn't hear it, she got it. Um, warm chocolate chip cookies fresh out of the oven. And they sit around the table, and the social psychologists say, I, we need for you to not eat these cookies for 30 minutes. And the people are like, what, what kind of study is this? And they sit in the room, and they don't eat the cookies. Okay, so well done, right? Then they go in the room, and they try to solve math problems. The length of time between the people, the radish, the radish people, and the cookie people was markedly different. The people who had to exert willpower to not eat radishes, they were cranking away at those math problems. It was like, radishes are not a problem for me. Like, I cannot eat those <laughs> Cranking away on the math problem. The people who had used their willpower to not eat the cookies depleted their well of resources. So when they got to those math problems, they were like, F it, I'm going home. This study sucks. <laughs> I'm going, and I'm going to stop at Trader Joe's. I'm going to get that really good, what, with the dark chocolate in it. And that's my plans for the evening. I don't know if that's how it happened, but that, in my mind it is. Here's a quote from the book. Here's a quote. So I love this book. I love this book because he's talking... He's writing a book about, the, the tagline, what's the tagline of the book? The tagline of the book is willpower rediscovering the greatest human strength. That's the subtitle. The conclusion of the book is that willpower is really not that powerful. It doesn't really do all that we think of. We have a well within us of willpower, and we use it for every single thing. We don't have a separate willpower for eating healthy and a separate container for being patient with the kids and a separate container working out at 5 a.m. We don't have separate. We have one container. And if we use it up, that's it. <laughs> you got to replenish it. And so willpower isn't that powerful. So it's like, but they wrote a whole manga man. So, okay, one of the questions, okay, so he's, but he was, his, his point was like, how do we get people to like be their best selves? Like it was one of those kind of books of like, how do you like help academics be like more academic or like marathoners be, I don't know. So one of the quotes is, the clear implication, 
The clear implication was that the best advice for young writers, who's writing to writers and academics, the best advice for young writers and aspiring professors is this, write every day. Use your self-control to form a, a daily habit and you'll produce more with less effort in the long run. Use your self-control. So you don't use your willpower like a Jedi mind trick to move a mountain. Use your willpower to form a habit. Do you see the difference? So willpower, self-control habits, even a habit of faith can be built up over time. Even at first, they're easily fatigued. Even at first, if you only have a little bit of faith, it's a muscle. It's like, if I were to, I'm not a gym rat, okay? So I don't, I don't want to like shock you, but I'm not. And if I were to go to the gym and try to lift one of those like barbell things, you know, that like the cross people, like, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to because I, I physically couldn't do it. Now, if someone who went to the gym every day for six hours for the last however long time and was a bodybuilder, they'd be like, it'd be no problem. But we often in faith approach something as though we should be able to lift it. We should be able to pray for an hour. If I was a good enough Christian, I would read this verse and I would apply it and I would, I would hear Megan speak and I would be like, yes, Megan, like nailed it. I'm going to go home and do it. And that's just how it is. And that's not how it is. Even like the social scientists of our world are like, that's not how it is. You have to use the tiny amount that you have, and it's, it's tiny. We are weak. We're fragile. We want to think we're like, let's be our best selves. We're not that great, you guys. We're, not. <laughs> we're just not, okay? We have a tiny, tiny little reserve in there, and it can barely get us to not eat cookies. <laughs> barely. It's so small. <laughs> it's so small. So how do we go deeper? If we can't get stronger without, you know, abs or arms or whatever, if we, if we understand physically we must build our muscles, how do we build a muscle of faith? That's the question we're going to ask. So I'm going to read the story again. And I want you to think in your mind, you're going to answer my question for me, who prayed? Okay, we're going to return to our story. Teacher, I brought you my son, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? Do you think Jesus knew how long it had been happening to him? I think so too. And he said from childhood, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse. So the most of them said, he is dead. But when Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose, and when he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So for years I thought, maybe like Jesus just got down on his knees and did like a, like a roll. Well, quick one, a real quick prayer. Who was with me thinking Jesus prayed? Raise your hands. 
okay? Who thinks the disciples prayed? Who thinks, like, angels prayed? I don't know, some mysterious force was praying. Who thinks um, uh, the boy prayed? Who thinks the father prayed? Ah, you guys got it. Because that's the prayer. Help me in my unbelief. I believe, help me in my unbelief. Do you hear the two sides of it? That's how we are. I believe, help my unbelief. Because on one hand, you're acknowledging, Megan's right, like, yeah, I believe Jesus' power, like, yes, I believe all of that to be true, but also, there's these things in me where I don't really trust you. That relationship, my money, my time, my energy, my body. There are places within me that willpower can't get me to. My drive, my being good enough, my force of will cannot get me to where I want to go help me. That's the prayer. It's a prayer so strong that it drove out a demon that the disciples couldn't, couldn't cast out. They're, they're doing like, I command you, and, I'm, and they're doing this. And that couldn't drive it out. The force, the power, the energy, the drive couldn't drive it out. You know what drove it out? Help me. Help me. Have you ever prayed like that to Jesus? Help me. I can't do it. Help me. God, it's so dear and so honest and so real. And that's the deeper, that part of us, where we stop pretending that we can command it out, that we can do it on our own. The part of us that says, help. I can't do it on my own. He finds that place within him. Calvin call it double knowledge. Theologians say that we cannot grow in God just with knowledge of God. We grow in knowledge of God, but then we must have knowledge of ourselves. And then we grow in knowledge of God and knowledge of ourselves. If we just have knowledge of God, we just have knowledge of God. We just know facts. We haven't let God know us because without knowing us, we don't know God. So we can only know one by knowing the other. Jesus said it really beautifully. He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many, many mighty works in your name? And you know what he'll say to them? I never knew you. You didn't let me know you. I didn't know you. Yeah, you knew facts and you knew songs and you knew theology, which is convicting for me. I like to know the things, all the things. If there's a thing to know, I want to know the thing. If there's a book to read, I want to read it. If there's a podcast to listen to, I want to, I want to hear it. I want to know all the things. And that's a way to keep me safe and up here and not help me. Okay, I got to wrap this up. I want to tell a story of how this has manifested its, its place in my life. Because I, just, I feel like a lot of us just are struggling and straddling a middle place, like this father who we believe, but we need help in our unbelief. And we know that God is good and faithful, but we hold that knowledge in our head, and we believe right things about God, but we lack a, like, a deep and kinetic and movable faith that gets us somewhere. I'm taking a class right now, it's an Ignatian prayer class. If you don't know what Ignatian prayer is, it's, well, I don't know, I just started, but it's... <laughs> Uh, 
I'll start with Larry. Larry is the instructor, and Larry, I'm going to a seminary that's like, like ties and button up, and like it's all very professional, and we pay a lot of money to be there, so you know, it's like, whatever. So Larry is my Ignatian prayer class teacher, and they know all about, every week I'm like, you guys, we call them bubbles now. I'm like, you guys, guess what bubbles said this week? So Larry doesn't wear shoes uh, as like a, a mode of like living in the world, and um, it's just like this crazy ex-hippie, and just like is, he's, I don't even know how to describe Larry. Here's how you describe Larry. I'm sitting, we're sitting in class. We have class with this man. We're sitting in class, and, he, and we're talking about, you know, our walls. We're talking about the walls we hit. And he's like, now, when you're in prayer, because you're going to be praying 75 minutes a day in this class, every day. So when you're in prayer, and you feel yourself forcing prayer, you feel yourself trying to make something happen in prayer, what I want you to do, once you get out your bubbles, and we're all like, bubbles? You get out your wand of bubbles. Because we have a basket. Larry makes us have a basket with like a blanket and we like wrap ourselves in the blanket. And he's like, just feel the love of God in the blanket and like get out your watercolors. We're like, what is that? I thought this was seminary. He's like, get out your water. So bubbles apparently are in the basket, he failed to mention. Get out your bubbles. And I want you to, I want you to blow a bubble. And I want you to watch yourself floating on the presence of God. And we're like, is he high? What is happening? Before, here's why I don't know what the Ignatian exercises are. Here's why. Because before you can start the actual like nine-month Ignatian course to be like trained to like lead people in Ignatian prayer, Larry makes you do 21 days of love. 21 days you sit in the loving presence of God with your blanket. And you, you sit there and you let God love you. And I apparently am not awesome at that because last week I went to spiritual direction. Larry's like, I think you need another week. I was like, Larry, like, I want to get on with these exercises. She's like, that's the problem. That's the problem. You're the problem. I want you to get your bubbles. <laughs> I want you to blow your bubbles. <laughs> and you know what it's done? You know what it's done? It's done, I, I love you, God. But help me love you more. This part of me loves you. I do. I know that I do but this part of me doesn't. I know I trust you, but this part of me doesn't. I have faith, but help my unbelief. Instead of doubling down on your efforts to pray, instead of when your mind wanders and, and berating yourself, like, I just gotta try harder, and maybe if I have a list of people to pray for, and maybe if I just, like, was more disciplined, get to the place instead that says, I wanna pray, but help me pray. Because here's the thing, Romans 8 says, the mind is, that is set on the flesh, the mind of the flesh, is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God and does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. We have an ability. Okay, We don't have the ability to move mountains. At least if you do, tell me because I would find that fascinating. That mind is not able to do so. You know what we are able to do? The one thing we are able to do? Help me. So the spirit within you is the one that's asking you to pray, right? So when you go to prayer and you're like, oh, my, this is boring, or my mind waters, or like, I, I know God loves me, but I don't feel God loves me. When you get to that place, instead of saying, you know, let's just shut this whole thing down. I'm obviously not good at this, or I'm just going to give up. Get to the place where you can say, I don't want to pray, but I want to want to pray. The spirit within me wants to. 
I, want to, I don't want to because this is boring. Or I, or I don't really believe you love me because I'm pissed at you about something. But I want to want to. That's the part of you where the Holy Spirit dwells. And it's calling out to God on your behalf. So as Megan said, we didn't want to make this time just head knowledge, which I'm guilty of because I like head knowledge. We want to immerse ourselves in these stories. We want to have an experience where you and I can go together and say, help me. That's what we're going to do right now. We're going to enter the story together. And the one thing I have learned about Ignatian exercises, if I ever get to them, is that they are imaginative prayer exercises. So like I did flip for you. Larry told me not to, but I went forward in the book. And it's a lot of... <laughs> don't, I hope this is not recorded and that he doesn't find out. It's a lot of... It's, shut up. It's a lot of gospel stories. And in the gospel stories we're invited to imagine ourselves with the presence of Jesus. And that's basically all Ignatian prayer is. It's this imaginative prayer. And I know some people might be weirded out by that, but Larry would say to you, <laughs> when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength, that's the Hebrew version of whole, of complete, of everything. Your hands, your ears, your legs, every part of you belongs to God, so worship God with every part of you. Even your desires, even your boredom, even the part of you that doesn't want you, even your longings, even your imagination, because here's what happens. If you take your desires, your longings, your imaginations, and put them over here away from God, guess what happens to them? They're in the darkness, and they're easily corruptible. But if we bring them into the light, our imagination, our desires, every single part of who we are, because God made us that way, he knows it's there. If we bring all that to the throne, that's where God can do some really wonderful things. So we're gonna, I'm going to invite my friend Britt up, because Britt's amazing. And I love to pray alongside Brit. And so we're going to enter the story together. We can read, do I show, let me read it again or no? We're going to enter the story together because Brit has this way. She has this way of like when we pray together and like we just go to Jesus and I just feel like we're just, we're just with Jesus in it. So we're going to enter the story together. And why don't you start? And we'll, I'll pop in if I want to pop in. Sounds great. Does that sound good? Yeah, so I, I was just thinking about the father. Yeah. I, I can just connect to the father being a mother, and I think if we could all kind of start there. Mm, having the thing, bringing the painful thing, like the father brought the painful. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And really Because there's to, nothing worse than a sick kid, I mean. Yeah. Right? There's yeah. nothing worse than when your kid is sick and being tortured. And, yeah, and you're desperate. There's yeah, no desperate. other answer. Yeah. You just, Jesus is your only hope. Yeah. And so I want to invite you, ladies, to mm. take what we just learned from beloved Allison. Mm. And we're going to go back into the story yeah. by closing our eyes. So I want to invite you to close your eyes right now. <laughs> and when you're ready, I want to invite you to open up your hands. before we go into the story, I just want to pray, Holy Spirit, open up our eyes to see Jesus yeah. in a new way mm. tonight. Holy Spirit, open up our hearts to the one who has all the answers and our heart longs for. Mm. 
Open us up to your presence, Jesus, Mm. right now. Mm. Allison, would you read this story again? Teacher, I brought you my son. So get in your hands. Just bring the thing to him. Maybe it is your child. Maybe it is a relationship. Maybe it's a burden. Maybe it's something financial. But get clear on it. Get clear on what you want to bring to Jesus. Yeah, what's the thing that Mm. is making you desperate? Yeah. That is causing you suffering and pain that's so dark. You have no other answer right now but Jesus. What is that thing? What is that? It could be a person. Mm. It could be a situation. But you know what you've carried here tonight that's been burdening, burdening you. And tell that to Jesus. He, the, the Father says, he explains it. It seizes him. It throws him. It foams at the mouth, and he becomes rigid. So describe it to Jesus. Describe the pain. Describe whatever you're bringing to him this weekend. Yeah. And, and, and explain to him right now, to Jesus, the negative emotion you're feeling, it's bringing up in you. Yeah. Is it fear? Is it shame? Mm. You can feel that right now in his presence. Maybe anger. You've asked people to help you with it. You've asked for it to be cast out, and it's not. Maybe you're disillusioned with God today. Maybe you're. Maybe you feel numb. You've just been. Dis- you've asked for God to cast this out. You've asked for God, or God's workers to to intervene, and they haven't been able to. Picture the face of Jesus. Picture Him with you. Just like in the video, He said, "Picture God's face with you." Get that image again. Yeah, look up for a moment from that situation and look up at his face and see his countenance. See his face. Mm. And if you can, look into his eyes. Jesus' eyes burning with love and compassion. Those eyes of liquid love and that smile, that smile that can bring about your peace, that everything's going to be okay when I see his face. That's what his face says to me. Mm. And maybe Jesus would ask you a question. Maybe Jesus would ask you, how long has this been happening to you? How long have you carried this with you? And this is the how long. When you think about it, it's caused unbelief. Yeah. Because it's been too long. I've tried everything. We've tried everything. Mm. I want to believe. But there is unbelief here now. I'm disappointed. You haven't done it within my timing or Mm. my way or the way I expected or hoped for. It's okay. With 
that in mind, hold that. Mm. Feeling of disappointment and unbelief. When he asks you, how long? Those emotions can feel heavy, but now look back up at Jesus' face, at his countenance again. And feel that little bit of faith, mustard seed mm -hmm. faith, mm -hmm. that says, Jesus, when I look at you right now, I believe. Mm -hmm. I believe. I believe. But even now, like the father, there was a moment of confession, yeah. of repentance, where he prayed, help me in my unbelief. Mm -hmm. So do that. You could say in your heart, Jesus, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Yeah. Help me. Help me believe. Do that now. And know that in that moment, remember the Father. That was when his breakthrough came. That was when his breakthrough came. When he confessed he needed Jesus and he said, help me. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Desperate for you. Help me. I need you. In that moment, Jesus did the impossible. Mm -hmm. He did the impossible. That was the Father's breakthrough into the miracle. The miracle. The son getting set free from years of suffering. His boy was delivered and set free. And if he did that for the father, he will yeah. do that for you. Amen. He will do that for you. Amen. The same Jesus is inviting you right now. Jesus wants you to surrender that. That burden you have held on to for so long that's been too heavy to carry. He wants you to let go and give it to him. And so right now I want to invite you with such a brokenness and humility to be able to say, Jesus, will you take this for me? Jesus, take this for me. Help me. I believe. See yourself giving it to Jesus. And again, if you need help, say, Jesus, take it. Watch him take it. And that sanctified, beautiful imagination, see Jesus, take it. That, that very thing that's in your hands, you can let go of. See him take it right now.
This is surrender. Mm. This is surrender. Beautiful surrender. And you know the beautiful thing with surrender, surrendering this to Jesus is that there's a sweet exchange every time. And it doesn't make sense. You give him something that you don't like, that's ugly or painful or dark. You give it to him and he gives you something beautiful. Most of which he gives you himself, more of himself. Because when we surrender, we make space for more of Jesus, more of his presence. So right now, I invite you to ask Jesus, Jesus, what, are you, what do you have for me? What is that gift that you have for me? Right now. That gift could be a word that describes his nature. Hear him. Speak his name over you. Hear him remind you of who he is and who he wants to be for you in this very situation. Who is he in this moment to you? Listen. Maybe it's a passage from scripture that you've known all your life but is perfect for this very situation. Jesus, speak your word over your daughters. Listen. Those who wait will never be put to shame. We can wait on the one. And maybe it's a promise for the future that gives you hope. Jesus, what is your promise to your daughters right now? A promise they can stand on for the days ahead when unbelief tries to creep back in. We can stand on his word and on his promises through his word. What is that promise for the future? That is solid ground to stand on. And maybe this gift looks like something. For those of you who are able in this moment to use your imagination, what does it look like, this gift? It might look like a unique gift to you. What does that gift look like? Mm. That comes in a unique package, perfect for you. And that's okay if you can't see in this moment, just by faith, just believe it's coming as a gift. Just perfect for you. 
that you can hold on to mm. and unpack in the days to come. Yeah. And as an, a faith act, I want to invite you to take your hands now after receiving this gift and place this gift into your heart. Receive it by saying thank you. When we get a gift, we say thank you to the one who gives it. It says we've received it. So you can thank him for this gift right now. So right now, we just want to seal this yeah. moment in prayer where we've entered into this story and this word. And we've gotten to experience Jesus and the Father in our own personal way. Mm. We want to seal this with the power of the Holy Spirit. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, for marking us tonight in a new way. Let us not forget how real you are, Jesus, how real you are, Father. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that in the days to come, you would remind every daughter here of the words, of what you have promised them, of what you've shown them tonight. Mm -hmm. Confirm it over and over and over again like you always do, because that is what we need, our little faith. Our little faith. <laughs> Our little faith wants to grow, and we need more muscle. Holy Spirit, build our habit, yeah. our muscle, so that we can believe you are who you say you are, and you will do what you say you will do. Right. And I am. You are who he says you are. I am who he says I am. And you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. His word is alive and active in you. We bless you. Mm, we bless you. Yeah. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.